Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Hey, dude. How you doing? Doing good. Good to be chatting with you. We're doing these um, one-on-one episodes of me and you, me and Ryan Carr and Matt McGarry bi-weekly now. So listeners should be hearing more from us. Yeah. I think it's something that we've really enjoyed doing just because it allows us to go. The interviews are great. and We've spoken to a lot of interesting people, but I think we can go a little bit deeper on really like relevant topics, what we're seeing, uh, what we're finding interesting, what we're thinking about. So yeah, excited for another round of topics. Let's do so it. we have a couple of kind of things to go through or ideas that I know we were tossing around before uh, we start recording here. So monetization and deliverability are, at least with like the folks that I'm speaking to and, and folks that we're working with, really starting to pop up as two major themes. Um, I guess we can start with monetization. Deliverability is a little bit more technical and honestly... I think for deliverability, I know a few folks and I'm sure you do as well. I'd love to get like an actual kind of technical expert on the pod and have a more fleshed out like discussion around 2024 updates to Google's policy, things to avoid, things that you can do right. But there are at least some initial guidelines that I know we can cover uh, just with our, yeah. our knowledge on it. But, yeah, we'll do a deep dive then, but maybe good to touch on updates today if we have time. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, monetization, I know is just like top of mind for everybody. And we've had a few... Uh, episodes where we've spoken to folks that are, I think, what we call experts um, in newsletter monetization. And I'm, I'm sure we'll have many more to come. Something that I've been speaking to more folks about, though, I think we've talked a lot about sponsorships. I have some notes there that I think we can run through as well. Uh, just some interesting ideas. But I think like a good front end offer is a good place for a lot of folks to start uh, when thinking about monetizing their newsletter. I can explain what a front end offer is, but I know you, you have a lot of experience in that as well, Matt, if you want to like cover what that would look like. Yeah. Especially if people are starting from scratch and they don't have any existing products, they just have a newsletter, they're selling some ads, a front end offer is a good place to start with. So what that means to me, maybe there's different explanations we can give, is something that's lower priced and it's also going to be a less um, less valuable, less intensive product. So if it's a course, the price might be between $50 to $150. Usually I think of a front end offer is something under $150 or under $100. And the content in that course, because it's a lower price, it's not going to be a 15 hour course, it might be a course that has four to six hours of content and it might cover um, solving one narrow problem rather than a course that covers everything under the sky that that you could help uh, potential customers with. So lower price, more narrow focus. Um, That doesn't mean it's less valuable, but it's also a good place, like a starting point offer, a good place where people can buy that, consume it, and then buy other products or services from you because they had a good experience with that front end offer. So that's why, tell me what you think. That's kind of my... Yeah, no, I think... think we're pretty much totally aligned. Like I think the the most important piece of it in my mind, or at least kind of the most important factor to consider is that it just gives you a good starting point to monetizing um, and monetizing repeatedly and sustainably, especially if it's uh, a, a kind of a pre-built course or digital product. What it allows you to do is start experimenting with a monetization funnel. So having some sort of a post subscription offer having plugs for an owned product or that kind of owned front end offer in your newsletter, building automation sequences. It allows you to kind of tack on ideally like a few dollars uh, in LTV to each subscriber that you bring through the door. And then when, once you, once you have that figured out, or once you have uh, you know, like a, a three or $4 LTV that you're attributing a lifetime value at that point, you can scale growth, right. And start running paid ad channels. Like, like we always talk about. So um yeah, I think it's a really important first step for a lot of people to take, um, especially I know that we've we've really kind of delved into how important it is to have an owned product, especially in what is uh, becoming and is already uh, kind of an unpredictable sponsorship market or an unpredictable, you know, it, it's, it's becoming less and less 
reliable for a lot of folks, especially newer newsletters, to leverage sponsorships as their main source of revenue. Yeah, you have to have this. And the front end offer is a great place to start because it's low price. You're not asking people to commit to a lot. 99 bucks, 50 bucks, 150 bucks. And because of that, you don't have to create a lot. I think a lot of people listening could create a course that has four hours of content over a weekend and then create a sales page in, in a day or so and then have a front end offer in just three to four days that they can sell to their audience. And I think so many people just need to go ahead and do this, pull the trigger on instead of waiting to, to figure out some master plan to monetize their audience or to come up with some you know $1,000 course or coaching program or something that's way more intensive. Just make your front end offer now, sell it and get feedback on it. Also, a lot of people make the mistake of starting, if you've never sold something to your audience before, a lot of people make the mistake of selling a subscription at first or a membership, where it's an annual subscription, monthly subscription, and you're committing to deliver something, content community over time, but you have no experience doing this before with an audience. So at first, it makes sense to sell something one time for a lower price that has a one-time deliverable, Get test that, get feedback, get reviews on that. And if that goes well, and there's some type of recurring content or value that you can deliver to people, then you can set up a subscription or a membership. And obviously recurring revenue is amazing. It's king, right? But this is where you need to start with to build a recurring revenue product. And most people should do it this way rather than jumping right into the deep end there. So I like it for that reason. One other reason I like it is because, because it's so low priced, you can sell this immediately after people subscribe. On your thank you page, you can put people into a sales letter or a, a VSL or a video for the front end offer. And you'll get some conversions there because it's it's low priced. You can't do that with a you know thousand dollar course or a coaching program or something that's really expensive, a back end offer, right? For that, you have to have a longer drawn out sales process where you have email automation, you have plugs in your newsletter, you have people join a webinar or apply, things like that. A different sales process, a different funnel that takes longer. But front end offers can be sold immediately. And you can also, you know, if you're able to convert. 2% of the people on your thank you page, 1% of the people on your thank you page, or even less, that can recoup all or some of your ad spend if you're going to invest in paid growth. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, talking about that post-subscription funnel, what it'll also allow you to do is just start thinking like a marketer, especially for folks that don't necessarily have like a, a background in marketing. It's not always super intuitive what works and what converts on these sales pages in uh, direct response emails. And so it's just a good exercise to to get a handle on not just what converts generally, but like what converts your audience. What are they most interested in? And yeah, to your point, uh, Matt, it's like you can just have a, a digital product. So like I think talking through some of the options for a front end offer. I know. I mean, if you wanted to have a really low price front end offer that you could sell fairly, I think it would be a fairly straightforward sell. Compiling kind of like a best of, or at least like identifying themes that have really resonated with your newsletter audience, your free newsletter. Uh, content and taking that and expanding on it in some sort of like digital ebook or or guide or playbook, basically building something that um, really leverages the content you've already built and expands on it. That's something you could do in a weekend and to, and get a sales page up really quickly and sell for ten or fifteen dollars or twenty dollars and and have a post subscription flow for that and just see how it converts. Um, and then it's selling in the background. It's something that adds. A dollar or two to your to your LTV per subscriber that you're like bringing that. in the door. A lot of people don't do that. Is I think they're afraid to sell content that they've already created. But I think what you're saying is we're we're going to add more to that and expand on that in the digital product, and it's going to be worth more because of that. So what I would think about doing for people is like look at your past newsletter issues. Which one has the highest open rate, highest click through rate? Which one has the best poll responses? 
which one did you get a lot of positive comments and replies about or multiple of ones that are in the same category? And how can you take those and turn that into an ebook or a course? What I might think about is instead of turning that into a, a ebook, basically take that same content. You can still write it out and everything, but put that into slides and record it as a course because video content formatted as a course has a higher perceived value as an ebook and you can sell it for more. Ebook, like you mentioned, your cap on an ebook is like 20 bucks, maybe 30 bucks. You can't really sell an ebook for more than that price, right? But you can easily sell a course that's three, four hours long for 50, 100, $150, like we talked about. So it's basically same content, put it in Google Slides and then just record it. You can still give them a written version because some people prefer to read over, over watch, right? And you should do that. But that just increases your value by double or more by doing that one thing. So that's a really good framework. I didn't think about just using the stuff you've already created. It's obvious. I am doing that myself too, but it's a good good way to, um, we should explain that to people and talk about it. Yeah, because it's just, it's it's the content. I mean, you have this archive of newsletter content. I, I think new subscribers aren't necessarily going to go through and, and read. I mean, maybe some will go through and read past editions or all of your past editions. So what you can do is for like a small fee, um, or, or a larger fee, if you're recording kind of a, a course like content or, or video like that, just go through and curate it all for them uh, and kind of have a best of, or at least like taking that content and, and turning it, if it's not already something that's really actionable, creating something actionable like a playbook or a guide uh, that would that would appeal directly to your to your subscriber base. Yeah, that's a great strategy. I think, honestly, it has, it's as simple as that. I think one thing you could do is I think a lot of people struggle with like, what's the thing that I create? Maybe I have a couple of different newsletters or articles like that that could be a fit. I would think about what's out of those newsletters or post articles that you've created, which one has helped people basically make the most money or save the most time, right? That's the one that you're going to turn into the course versus one that people just really liked because people are willing to pay for things that make them more money or save them more money, right? So think about it from that angle. Another thing you could do is you could survey a, a segment of your audience. And if like you're, you're stuck on like two to three different options for the front end offer, you could just say, hey, which, which one would you buy? Just a multiple choice and then pick the one that they say. Um, or even pre-sell all three of them and then refund the people who buy the one that you decide not to go with or the, the multiple ones that you decide not to go with. I wouldn't give more than three to four options, but I think that's something for those that are on the fence. Surveys are great. They can help too. One final idea is like if you're really, maybe if you don't have content like that, that you can make into a front end offer and you're kind of stuck about what you create. Here's how I would think about creating that first front end offer if you don't have something like this. For your, for, for your newsletter and audience. I would create a segment of your most engaged subscribers, send them a survey, just asking them for feedback about how they like the, the newsletter content and what they would like to see more of. And then also some general questions about who they are, what they do, stuff like that, so you can understand them better. Most of those questions should be multiple choice. I think this should be like seven to 15 questions, mostly multiple choice, but give you know two to three open-ended questions where people can write you a little, a few sentences uh, with their feedback. And then Look at the best, most thought out responses, find like three to five of those and get on a call with those three to five people, talk to them about what problems they have and what types of stuff they're buying. And then based on the survey and the calls that you did, the interviews that you did, then you should have at least a couple of product ideas. If you don't, there's something wrong. You're not doing the interview right. You're not doing the survey right. So between those two things, you should have some type of product idea that you can go out and create now. And all those things we talked about don't take a ton of time. You can knock this out in half a week or a week. If, if you're doing it right. Yeah. Especially the polling and like the surveying, like the polls, I mean, polls should be part of your, your newsletter workflow at that regular cadence that you're sending anyway. So just kind of like tweaking the, you know, that I, I think we've, we've talked so much about like the importance of surveying your, uh, your audience and understanding what they, uh, 
what they're interested in and using polls as a way to generate products. So I think that fits perfectly with, um, with what we've learned from folks we've interviewed and kind of, uh, some themes that we've already covered. Um, but yeah, totally agree. Yeah. One idea is like, if you're not getting pull responses, one, you need to lead with, with the easy questions too. A lot of people bring this up to me. Like I didn't get enough pull responses. You need to lead with the easy questions and then the questions get progressively more difficult. And then you lead to the open-ended questions at the very end after people have already committed to answering 10 multiple choice questions, right? You should also incentivize people to complete the survey with like a gift card, $100 gift card, $50 Amazon gift card. We're going to give away one of these gift cards to people who complete the poll randomly. So one person out of however many people complete it will, will get the gift card. That will get you a lot more responses. You can do the same thing for interviews, of course. But if you're struggling to get those responses, which I know some people are going to say, I wanted to mention that. That's um, a really good call out. Yeah, because just like a small incentive like that, um, a relatively small incentive for for what's really valuable information. Yeah, that's that's a really good call out. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it, I should. Oh, good. No, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, should I talk about my course here since we're, would that be a good jumping off point? Because I'm thinking about different ways to monetize my audience. I already am through the agency that I have, Grow Letter, and that's been going well, but I want to offer different services for different people depending on where they're at. So I'm doing a course, it's not a front end offer. So it's not quite parallel to what we just talked about, but I think there's some learnings that people could, could take from this. And I'm just in the early stages of marketing. So like we're talking early January, the it's a cohort based course. That's the product. It's called growth system. It's all about growing your newsletter. And we, we cover 12 different systems and tactics to grow your newsletter. And in the five week cohort based course, we execute those strategies and tactics together. So week one, we're focused on one to two different strategies and tactics. We do this together as a group. I'm giving you feedback on those. Week two, week other, another one, week three, et cetera, et cetera. All of the goal to help you rapidly grow your newsletter within this five-week course. So it's not just sit down, learn a bunch of stuff, and then not know what to implement. It's these are the things we're doing. We're going to do them together, and you're going to get results immediately during the course. So that's growth system. And how I'm selling it is what I wanted to talk about. So I think it will apply to a lot of people listening. What I've started with is live webinars. And I don't see a lot of people do these anymore, but they've been really effective for me. It's pretty simple to promote, especially if you already have an email list, right? You just, within your newsletter to a segment of your audience, you just tell people you're doing a webinar, all the benefits and the stuff they're going to learn on the webinar. I call it a live training. Some people call it a workshop webinar. It's all the same thing, right? But you promote it to your list. You have people join. What I found is doing, giving people like multiple times to join is good. So if you're just doing one live webinar, that's not going to fit a lot of people's schedules. But for the first week, I did three of the webinars at three different times in three different days. So we got a lot of people to join. I think we had up to sit four or 500 people on one, one of the webinars, I think over 1700 people total Wow, registered. And that's just from one email blast to about 20% of my email list. And I think maybe two, one or two social media posts. So I think people want to attend live events, especially if it's on relevant content, right? What I did is I, I kind of had the webinar to serve two, two purposes. I am doing this live event next week called Traffic and Conversion Summit. So I'm doing a talk there. I wanted to practice my talk before I actually did it. So most of my content in the webinar is what I'm doing in the talk to practice. And then at the end of the webinar, I asked people, would you like to hear about more ways I can help people? I can help you, excuse me, more ways I can help you. They say yes or no. If they say yes, I continue and give a little bit of a pitch for the course. And honestly, the pitch was really bad at first because I didn't spend any time on creating the pitch. It's better now. It was like three slides about the course, but I've been able to sell, you know, 32 or get 32 students to enroll from those three webinars. 
And that's the only promotion I've done for the course. And the course is a thousand dollars one-time payment. So that's like 32, 32K in revenue from three live webinars. That didn't take me a lot of time to promote. It took me a long time to make the content and the slides, but not too long, you know, maybe like five to 10 hours total. But a lot of that is procrastinating, as you know, <laughs> whenever you're creating content, it's just like, it's procrastinating. But um, and a lot of the content is stuff I've already written about, of course, because I'm taking the best of what I've already created and putting that into a webinar. So long story short, that's what's working for me right now. I'm going to do more ways to promote the course. A lot of that's going to be email marketing going up to a deadline because it's a cohort-based course. There is a deadline to join around, I think, January 20th. And so I'll be sending more and more emails and doing more and more promotions up until that deadline. And we'll get a lot of people that join right before the deadline because of the scarcity in limited spots that are available for the course. So it's really those two things, live webinars, email marketing, and that's working for me so far. Not a lot of students, but it's, it's good for me. That's awesome, man. And it's so, uh, I think that's going to like blow people's mind to know that the webinar is, is, is like successful as a marketing tool like that. It's funny. I think was it uh, Miss Excel? You know, the, the woman who does like TikTok uh, Excel stuff and she also runs like courses yeah. and stuff like that. I think she did a lot of her selling via webinar too. And then obviously like Hormozzi has like webinars uh, that he's done. And so it's it's interesting. Like, I think like it's, it's a lot more useful and a lot more effective uh, than people would maybe think or would be intuitive. It's great. You know, Cody Sanchez, who we've worked with is, um, she has this, this membership called the country and community, which I think is most of her revenue from her, her media company. I think it's a, it's a $10 million plus revenue product. It's, it's like, a, and also the product costs $8,000 per year, the Jordan, or maybe $10,000 per year. Now I think they recently raised the price. Most of these sales from that come from a webinar. So basically if you have any product or a service or community that costs over a thousand dollars, you should probably have a webinar in your marketing funnel in some way, your marketing process in some way. It yeah, allows so you to get in front of a captive audience, especially if it's live, right? It's like you join yeah. this Zoom webinar live. You already blocked off an hour on your calendar. You're a captive audience that I can just talk to you to about, about my product. And I'm not just pitching the product. Most of it is education, 90% plus. But through that education, I'm, I'm gaining your trust. You're learning something. You're liking me more. So I'm more likely to be able to sell you something at the end. And I just don't see it used a lot. It used to be really common and it still is used a good amount, but not as much as I would think. Yeah, I think there was a big shift away from like synchronous events like that and sales events. And now I think it might be moving, swinging back in the other direction, which is a good thing for people who uh, who have a, uh, I think like just like value to, to provide up front because it also allows you to field questions, right? I'm sure, are you getting a lot of questions during these two? And is that is that how it works? Yeah, after the um, after I tell people the course, I do like 10 minutes of Q&A and I can answer questions about the content and the course too, so you can just feel those objections and those questions immediately rather than not being able to at all if it wasn't live. Also live, it, it helps you obviously because you have a captive audience, like I said, but also th there's like a natural scarcity and urgency around it. Like this is the live event. There's three sessions. I have to attend one. I'm doing no replays. So either you join the line session to see the content or you don't get to see the content. And anytime you can have some type of scarcity and urgency in your marketing, it's really powerful. And if you do the no re replay part, you, you can do that, right? I think a lot of people don't do that and they just have replays and like no one ever joins the live webinar because they'll just watch the replay, but then they don't even watch the replay because it's not live. <laughs> they get like 10% of the way through and quit. But like your retention rate for a live audience is so much higher versus a recorded video, right? Yeah. You, cause you feel bad leaving too. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, you do. And like, I'm retaining you 90%, 95% of people until the end because they're live. If it wasn't live, I would retain like 5% of people till the end, I imagine. Right. 
Yeah, I joined. A, I actually joined a webinar a, a little bit ago. It was Pat Walls who does Starter Story, and it was super interesting. It was cool. It was the first webinar that I'd attended in quite a while. But yeah, it definitely got me thinking about ways that you can incorporate that in just like a you know a marketer's workflow or a marketer's funnel. So that's that's really cool that you, that you're doing that and that it's it's successful. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I think the course is going to be um, like a huge value add to folks that join it, especially with how actionable uh, the content is. I mean, you walked me through kind of the content at, at a deeper level, and I'm not sure how much of that is, is public yet, so I won't share, but I know that uh, what is involved in the course is like really, really hands-on. So I think it's going to be super valuable to those folks that signed up. Yeah, it'll be fun. But we're basically just covering the best growth tactics working right now, teaching you the best ways to use them, how to use them exactly step-by-step. Step. And then it's kind of like um, the first session is Monday. So we do that. You learn that Monday, you execute it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then on Thursday is kind of like our review time. We're going to cover more learning there too, but like we're kind of reviewing what you did earlier in the week and giving you feedback on that. So it's like, let's say we're doing Facebook ads. You learn how to do Facebook ads on Monday. You set them up on, on Monday and Tuesday, you let them run. And then you get feedback from me and my team later in the week on how to improve them. So um, we're going to have a, it's just a lot better than having pre-recorded content essentially. Yeah. Like, the, the content will still be recorded for everyone, of course, but. I can give real-time feedback and people are going to get just way better results than me just play pre-recording the course and, and sending it to them. So I'm excited for that. And we're keeping it really small too. So I have time to do that. So there's only a hundred students and I have multiple people from my team helping me give feedback to everybody. So everybody's going to get hands-on time versus if I had a thousand students, I couldn't do that. Yeah. No, that's so cool. Yeah. That's great that your team's involved. Like that's, yeah going to be a huge value add for folks. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you'll have a link in the description for folks to sign up to, but uh, wh where can they go? <laughs> Wait a plug. I think it'll yeah. be in there. Yeah. I, this should be published before it um, goes out. So yeah, it'll be in the description. I don't have it. You can go to newsletteroperator.com and I should have something about it there. But enough about that. One final thing I say is like, if, if you have the reason I brought up webinars too, is because if a lot of people watching have a small audience, you don't need a huge audience to sell successfully in a webinar. If you get 25 people to show up on a webinar, and you have you know two buyers from that, like you can have a really high conversion rate from these webinars. Um, two buyers buy a thousand dollar product, two grand revenue. You spend an hour of your time. That's pretty good if you're just starting out. So you don't have to have a lot of people on a webinar for this just to be an effective strategy. I think people should do it earlier in their in their journey. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think what's I mean on that note of of you know not needing that high of a conversion rate, something that. Uh, I've, I've noticed and started testing and have seen success with. And I think this works really well specifically for higher ticket or agency models. So like for Tailwind, for example, um, for, for my like done for you newsletter as a service uh, agency, we have started testing a lot more newsletter ads, which seems like a natural fit. But it got me thinking about how um, we've, we've spoken to a lot of folks, uh, like sales folks, people that are experts in ad sponsorship um, or in sponsorships for newsletters and, and have have led teams and have done that on like a freelance basis. And something I feel like we haven't necessarily heard a lot of is building a system for outreach to agencies and service businesses, like higher ticket services like that, because it really makes sense as a purchaser of those sponsorships. It makes a ton of sense from a ROAS perspective for me, from a return on ad spend perspective, because all you need is, is one conversion to make it ROAS positive or ROI positive. And so it got me thinking, like, I think there are a lot, there are obviously a lot of B2B newsletters out there and newsletters that reach decision makers at businesses. I think a really good outbound sponsorship strategy could be 
identifying what kinds of services those decision makers or, or your readers need uh, that could be fulfilled by an agency or service business and reaching out to agency owners and saying, hey, this is the audience that I have. This is how much that the placement itself costs. If you convert one person from our audience of like 20,000, then it will be ROI positive, right? Um, especially when you yeah. factor in retention and all of that. So yeah, I think it's- Yeah, because it's, it's, a lot of agencies, I mean, a service might cost five to $10,000 per month, per month, right? It's a recurring service. And a, a sponsorship is usually, for most B2B newsletters that are somewhat small, less than 10 grand, a lot of times less than five grand, usually, yeah. usually less than five grand. So- you can make it back in one month of one client, then you have value on top of that too. Exactly. It makes a lot of sense. And then if you beat it, like every business uses agencies, essentially. Mm -hmm. Every business I've ever worked at. There's very few people that do everything in-house or even a large percentage of things that um, that businesses do in-house versus agencies. So I maybe in surveys, what B2B newsletter operators should think about is like, in, in a lot of surveys, they'll ask, what software are you using for this specific thing? Like I have a newsletter, but newsletters ask people what email service provider they use, because that's a must have software that you have that you need if you run a newsletter, right? Or a media company. I should be asking people, what do you hire agencies for too? And then learn that information and then reach out to agencies in that category to sponsor my newsletter. Because it, it's, it's a need, just like software, you need outsourcers, you need agencies. So we should think about it in the same way. Yeah. I mean, what a great pitch, like to to just take a screenshot of a poll that says, these are the kinds of services we're looking for from your audience and including that in an outbound strategy that goes out to agency owners and saying, hey, these, like my audience is looking for your services. If your service costs more than like $2,500 or I don't know, I'm just throwing like a, 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 like a, a placement uh, fee out there, then you could earn it. You could, we could be ROI positive with one conversion. Like, well, why don't we try this? So, yeah, I mean, it's if you're if you're having trouble uh, finding sponsorships, and I think there are a lot of people that just don't know where to start. We've had some really good episodes about that specifically. But if you're looking for an extra idea, try try reaching out to service providers or agency owners and, and see how that goes. I think that's really smart. I think um, just a couple couple of things to go more in depth on that. Well, I, I think. Newsletter operators are going to know what type of agencies that their their readers use, especially if they poll them and survey them. It's going to be a little bit harder to find these agencies and reach out to them versus like SaaS, because SaaS is more like you know what the top five ESPs are for for newsletters, or you know what the top five HR software products are if you have an HR media company, right? But agencies are a little bit harder. I think where people could look is Clutch, which is an agency review site. They could look there. There's another one called agencyreviews.io. There's definitely more out there. So check out those if you're if you're not sure where to look. And then ask your readers or ask your friends. I'm sure you have friends in the industry if you're writing about this, what agencies they use. And those would be good people to reach out to. I think between those two things, you, you can get a lot of people to reach out to. I think if some people might struggle to like find agencies, because it's just going to be harder than SaaS, right? Any other ideas? No, I think I think using databases like that, agency reviews IO, that's obviously uh, by uh, our good buddy Marketing Max, friend of the pod. But uh, yeah, no, I think using databases like that is a great place to start. And honestly, like I mean, it just makes sense. It makes sense for for agency owners uh, as as a as a channel. And also, if you're an agency owner listening to this, like I would say test it, find to find a newsletter that matches your your kind of decision maker or your ideal client. Uh, or has them as part of their subscriber base or a large volume of their subscriber base and test it out because, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think, you know, we're, we've talked a lot about newsletter ads and a lot of people on uh, listening to us will have heard a lot about newsletter ads, but I do think they're, they're undervalued. Yeah. I have a buddy parent. He, he, um, he has a good friend who has an agency that just 
buys all the newsletter ads they can find, usually in marketing newsletters. I'm forgetting the name of his agency now, but it's it's crushed it for him. And if you're an agency owner, it's like, where do you buy? You can't really buy Facebook ads to get clients. Like, it's not going to work. You're not, you're not buying TikTok ads, Twitter maybe ads. Maybe Twitter. Yeah, maybe, actually Twitter could work better. Yeah. Google ads work, but that's really expensive if you're betting on like best agencies for this thing, best <laughs> yeah. ad agencies. You're, you're betting against, you know, huge agencies and you're paying hundreds of dollars per lead if you're doing Google ads, which which is not fun. But I think there's a lot of white space in there if, if you're doing paid marketing in the newsletter space. A lot of underpriced attention. So I like that idea. Any other topics or ideas? I know we got to wrap up in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think so. We were going to talk a little bit about deliverability, but I think what we can do is save that for a future episode where we actually have a more uh, kind of a technical expert. And I know both of us know a few. So I think we'll look to bring somebody on to talk through that in more depth. I guess just as a quick little like summary of it, like Google has some updates to their to their policy for 2024. And it's definitely worth all newsletter operators looking into that. Maybe we can drop a link to I know Beehive has a guide for it, but maybe we can include something in, in the description that just kind of uh, points points uh, listeners in the right direction. But something to pay attention to and something we'll definitely discuss in more depth in a future episode. Yeah, we'll drop the Beehive guide. That sounds like a good one. And we'll get into it later. Final call to action is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Those are the main two because not just to boost the podcast, but because we want your feedback and we want to hear more about what you want to hear, what you like, what you don't like, so we can make the podcast better. So subscribe there, leave us a review there. We really appreciate it. Um, Thanks, Ryan. This was fun. Yeah, always a good time. All right. Talk soon.